0: Okay, hi, one church. Hi. Hi, Hey, everybody. Um, so before this uh, new series started, uh, Harps and Liars, Jamel reached out to me, and he asked if I could find some people and just kind of talk about what is heaven to them, What is? what do they think heaven is, right? Um, originally, he wanted me to go on the street and kind of do interviews and stuff like that, but it was too cold, so I decided to not do that and instead ask people on Facebook so I could find out what people thought of with heaven. Um, And originally it struck me because I think we hear a lot of it just in our daily lives where people will just kinda briefly talk about heaven, they'll say something like, ugh, I can't wait to go to heaven when there's no traffic It's like, that's a very small-minded thing to think about when you think about heaven and still thinking there are cars. Like, I don't even think, why would we even have traffic? Why are we even talking about traffic with heaven? Um, So I asked that on Facebook, specifically that way, and asked people what they thought heaven was. So uh, these are all widespread. Some of them are serious. Some of them are ridiculous, like this first one. Um, Heaven has everyone walking on clouds and all white looking godly listening to a Whitney and Luther collab remixed by Tupac and Biggie, while Gerald Levert, Phyllis Hyman, and Marvin Gaye are singing background vocals. Everyone's family members are laying on clouds watching over the family that they left behind. There's a blue brick road to get to the HGIC's Head God in Charge's office. There's always a long line of people requesting blessings for their families, and the rude assistant tells everyone to take a number. No cars, no illnesses, no pain, good food, lots of pets, lots of laughter. Everyone has good skin. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's a lot of people who mention clouds, I I guess, just because when you look up, I guess that's where heaven is, obviously. Um, The vision I have are walking on the clouds, and everyone is nice and loves everyone. Uh, I'd like to think it's the perfect place. Hopefully we'll be able to see loved ones that have passed before us. And some of them are a little bit more, I guess, in my opinion, desperate. Um, I do have a lot of friends who uh, are not believers or um, just don't believe of anything. And this is one of them. Uh, I wish there was a heaven. I'll put it that way. The way I see it, anyone who tells you what happens to you when you die with certainty and does not talk about decomposition has already made up their minds on something absolutely, uh, on something absolutely no one has proof of. What I suspect is that heaven is an idea slash wish made by people who thought humans were so special that they could somehow outlive death because death is terrifying. Um, then some people are uh, a little bit uh, lighter and they say, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like the holodeck on the Enterprise so I could experience any moment, place, in history. Now I'd be content with a place without laundry. It's their heaven. Uh, it's a big meadow with all my dead dogs and past relatives. No cars. You do that limited gravity hop thing from place to place, and all the colors are pastel for some reason. Um, then uh, yeah, there's a lot of people put something about Mark Twain. I don't. There's just a whole lot of Mark Twain posts on my on my heaven face. I guess he's in heaven. I don't know. Um, Oh, there was another good one. Hold on. Uh, I don't really believe there's an afterlife, but if there is, I imagine it's like when you're half awake in your bed on a sunny morning, and you have no responsibilities, and you're still kind of groggy, groggy, but you feel cozy and warm and loved. I think it would be that moment stretched out forever, but didn't feel like any time had passed. Uh, then there's some people who are very specific in in biblical, um, uh, I guess, canon. So. According to divinely inspired canon, heaven is nothing more than people in constant praise of God. That means no time with loved ones who've passed. It's simply constant worship of God. That's it. When someone dies and goes to heaven, they finally get to see the full scope of God, and from that, they are constantly near to God, and the constant worship of God's godness. <laughs> hell on earth, on the other hand, is being made aware of God's godness and knowing you can never be near God. You are without God, and that is hell. Uh, then there's a whole lot of people who say heaven is, is your, in yourself or in your mind. Heaven and hell is here on earth and where you dwell mentally. I just got a friend request as I was trying to do this and I accidentally pressed the button. Okay, we're back. Heaven and hell is here on earth and where you dwell mentally is based on your decisions. I think heaven is about having peace of mind here on earth. Just my personal opinion. Um, then there's some people who are just kind of hungry. Hell is a pit uh, of the burning and sizzling in their own fat, like so much bacon. And heaven is where you get to eat the bacon. Yeah, it's gross. It is. It is. Um, And I will finish with uh, my friend Patty. Uh, Patty said, I think it's home. This is the place we are visiting, this being Earth. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Matt just sent me a text message. Matt Ness, your pastor, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) trying to throw me off the path. I'm reading the words. He's a sweet man. Um, Patty said, I think it's home. This is the place we are visiting. We choose this time in life and chose our family with friends to travel to this time. Those who prick us and cause us pain are noble friends. They choose to take take on that role to help us in our growth, to teach us if we allow it purposes are at work that we don't truly comprehend and we don't fully remember our home because of the glass darkly stuff. I do remember oh nope nope I do believe hell is here too. We allow it to exist. Maybe it's our collective purpose to do away with hell wherever we encounter it. Hell is separation and fear and heaven is the opposite. Thank you. That was a weak clap. (laughs)
1: all right cool cool well thank you uh thank you sean for um for that and um wanted him to share that uh so that um you know he could hear we could hear probably some ideas that we ourselves hold to when we think of heaven um uh when i have conversations i've had conversations with people about heaven uh i hear similar things from people who are believers uh, because so much of what we know about heaven is kind of rooted in superstition, and, um, and I've heard uh, from churches and from people uh, that I love and adore similar stories, and so uh, before we dive in to the message for today, uh, I want you to do me a favor. I don't want you to pull out your devices or your Bibles. I'm going to read the biblical description of heaven for you, and, um, and I just want you to listen. Um, however, you listen best if that's with your eyes closed, or if you just want, want to look at me. I just just want you to hear how John writes about our future home. And um, listen. And if you you want to know where to find this, you can find it in Revelation chapter 21 in its entirety. Also, chapter 22 deals with it, but today we're going to focus on chapter 21. So it's kind of lengthy, and I hope that's okay. Um, but I, I think it's good for your hearing. <clears throat> and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. Its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper. While the city was pure gold like clear glass, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper the second sapphire, the third a the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. They will bring it into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters, for my time with you this morning in our series Harps and Liar, I want to talk to you about heaven for real. Um, if you're like me, if you've grown up in church or just gone to funerals, usually that's about the only time that you hear about heaven. And, uh, and when we do, we usually hear from one particular scripture. You may be familiar with it. You find it in John chapter 14, just the first few verses. You, you see Jesus say these words to us. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. I love the King James. It says mansions there. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What a beautiful, encouraging message there, right? I mean, we love to hear about this promised place, especially looking at the reality that this is the place where our loved ones, people whom we care for dearly and we've lost where they will be. And hearing about these great heavenly mansions or rooms, whatever the interpretation appropriately is, that will one day be our home. Hearing about those things is such a blessing. My only issue is I wish that the only time, well, that the only time, it was more than when death came that was the only time we hear about this great place. It only seems to be at funerals where we hear about the great place where our heavenly promise will be. So I love how C.S. Lewis, the great apologist, says, he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. The people who did the most spent their life thinking about the next, thinking about the promises of our God. And the reality is, however, that many believers like you and I have been been discipled not to think about heaven, But we've been the disciple to fear hell. I don't know about you. I remember being being a little boy and I remember the reason that made me the old Baptist church had this traditional way uh, that you gave your life to Christ after the pastor would give his sermon. They sit two chairs, two intimidating chairs in front of the congregation and the pastor would tell you, listen, if you do not want to burn in hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, then you should come take a seat. And I remember that day, I was 10 years old, and I remember my cousin and another little boy running up to get, take those two seats like they were the last two seats on the way to heaven. And I remember I saw the lady sit out a third and a fourth chair, and I took off from my seat because I didn't, I didn't want space to run out. I was hoping that heaven had a place for me. But it was, it was out of fear. Fear is what, what motivated me to think about heaven, about to think about the, 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 the place where I want, because I didn't want to go to hell. Well, the old saints, they would say that many people really just accept Jesus Christ because it's fire insurance, because we don't want to burn. And so we receive Jesus to avoid burning in hell. And um, I get that. I understand that. It's just not the entirety of the story. So my assignment for this beginning of our series is basically to give you biblically uh, what the Bible tells us about heaven and our future hope. But before we move on, since I was already there, the question then is, well, what about hell? What about hell? Now, I understand this question, and i talk talked to a lot of people, and especially a lot of people are very intelligent And you may be ones here and you've thought so deeply about this idea, this concept of hell. And some people would even argue, does hell even exist? And I understand that question, man. It comes up over and over again. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you who sit in the seats today, if you question about the existence of hell itself, it, it makes sense. But I just want you to know that it is spoken about throughout the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, talk about this place called hell. The Old Testament refers to it by another name but it's it's there, it is this place that we know as hell. Jesus teaches about hell. He says, hell was created for Satan and his angels. Or even here in Revelation 21, as the angel is describing heaven, he pauses for a moment to let us know that there is a place where people will go who are not in heaven, and that place is known as hell. But on a purely intellectual level, on a purely intellectual level, hell makes sense. On a purely intellectual level, some of you, you guys, I know you're really intelligent, and so if you think about this, we learned this in school, and Newton's third law of physics that describes to us that there has to be a hell. Newton tells us that for every action has an equal and an opposite reaction. Therefore, if there's an up, then there has to be a down. If there is an entrance, then there has to be an exit. If there is good, then there must be evil. And, brothers and sisters, if there is a heaven based upon physics, then there must be a hell. a hell. For every action is an equal and an opposite of reaction. Hell exists even logically before we even get to the spiritual side of it. There must be a place. There can be no good if there is no evil. There can be no heaven if there is no hell. Hell exists both spiritually and we understand it logically. But I also know your second question. Maybe that's not your first question. You're, you're like, OK, I understand hell. I just don't understand the purpose of it. And that question looks a whole lot more like this. Why would a good God send someone to hell? Anybody ever ask that question there? Anybody? Yeah, you, you pondered that question. Why must a, why would a good God do so? Well, let me give you that answer in short. He doesn't. God does not send any one to hell. The reality is, is that those who do not love God must be free in order to do so. Those who do not choose to live with God, to accept God in their life and in their heart, they must have the freedom to not spend eternity with Him. Jesus, God does not send people to hell, but he does allow the opportunity, if you want to put it like that, for you to distance yourself from him. God allows that. He allows there to be a hell. He doesn't send someone there. But the idea when we ask that question is what we're really asking is, why would God create a place where he could send people to torture them? And that's not even uh, theologically what hell is. And nor is that the reason for hell. God did not create a hell so that he could send a a place to send people where he could torture them because of their sins. Because if that were true, then brothers and sisters, you and I would be there and that would be our existence as well. He didn't create a hell for torture, but there is this place that exists where God is not. So in Revelation 21, you'll see the angel talk about this place that we know as hell. And he says therein you'll find will be the second death, the second death. So when he's talking about that, here's not what he's saying. He's not saying that when you die, when you leave this place, then you will die again. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying to us that hell is a place where God is not. And any time that you are separated from God, you're dead. Any time that you are separated from God, you are dead. The truth is, however, we talk about separation from God on the planet. And the reality is, is that as long as you are breathing breath on this planet in this life, you are never separated from God. You may feel distant from him. But you are never separated from him. Even if you are not a believer, you're not separate. You're distant. You, you need to cross that bridge to get to him. But God is everywhere. And his grace is keeping you even if you are not aware of that reality. Why would God create a heaven, I mean a hell for people? Uh, he doesn't. But he allows you to do so. And you, are, you have the ability to live that place for the remainder of eternity. Now, hell is a reality based upon theological, based upon scriptural argument. It is a reality. And although hell is a reality, it ought not be the entire motivation for our decisions. I grew up just hearing about hell over and over again. And fearfully, we will never solidify our connection with Jesus if we're only coming to him because we are fearful of judgment. But the relationship between us and God ought not be one that is focused on His judgment. It ought to be focused on the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, that we were separated from God, or we can't be separated from God, because of our sin. But Jesus mended that relationship by dying on the cross, so that you and I can have life. That's the story—the story that we ought to hold on to, not the story of hell. Hell's a reality, but hell should, is not the final product. It should not be the finality of the story. In fact, it is not. The the reality is this, and he says this in our scripture. We're just going to focus on those first five verses. I love how John says this. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What John is letting us know, the angel speaking through John is letting us know, is that the place where Jesus hopes to dwell is not in a place where we are separated from him, but he desires to be with us for the remainder of eternity. God's desire is not separation God's desire is cohabitation with his creation for all of eternity. He wants to live with you for the remainder of his days, which go from everlasting to everlasting. That's the story, y'all. That's where our focus and our heart ought to be, on the reality that God wants to dwell with us always. So let me read for you real quickly just these first five verses And I'll share a couple of things and we'll go home. Verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So I want to just share with you a couple of things about our future hope for you to understand. First thing is this. Uh, how many of you all were like me and you were taught that heaven is like this, this invisible mystical place that exists up in the sky. You just can't see it. Were y'all taught that anybody? It's okay. I mean, that, that was that was what so many of us was taught, and um, so we're going to kind of answer some of these questions. These myths are maybe truths that we've been taught, and um, and, and I'll say that uh, the answer to that is: there this invisible mystical place up in heaven, uh, up in the skies that we can't see, and that's where you go when you die. I'll give you the answer to that. It's yes and no. I'll give you. It's yes and no. The first thing is this. Hold on, pause for a moment. I forgot to tell you, I did the same thing first service. Uh, if you have the One Church app, uh, you can open it up and there's a tab that says sermon notes. Everything that I'm going over is in your sermon notes, all the scriptures, all the notes and points and things is in there. So you can follow along if you want to or if you want to review it later, you can do so. Also, I forgot to say this second our ser- first service. Uh, if you have questions, this isn't going to be exhaustive. And so, Matt, raise your hand. Y'all know Pastor Matt, and then Stephanie over here will be available if you have additional questions after this, okay? We don't want to leave you hanging because this isn't going to be exhaustive. I'm going to finish, and you're still going to have questions. They're going to be available for you if you want to do so, all right? All right, so back to the question about this mystical, invisible place. Yes and no, there is. The first point is this this place that is known as the present heaven. The present heaven. Say the present heaven. This is the place where believers now go. This is where those who have died, those who will die before the second coming of Christ, this is where they exist, the present heaven. This is the invisible mystical place that you cannot see. I'm not going to tell you that it's up there. I think it's up there. We don't know exactly how to describe it because it's something spiritual that we cannot or do not understand, but it does exist. There's biblical evidence of it. If you let me share with you real quickly, you remember uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 43. You remember Jesus is on the cross. You remember the thief, the thief who received, who told Jesus, you do not deserve to be here. Jesus says after his confession, behold, you will be with me this day in paradise. The paradise that Jesus is talking about in that scripture is the present heaven. Also, Peter mentions it in, uh, in his second letter and how it ultimately will be destroyed. So the new, creation, the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth shall arrive. You can find that in 2 Peter 3, 7 through 13. That's the present heaven. It's the place where the people who have gone. The people who will die before the coming of Christ, where we all will be until the coming of Jesus for his second time. That's the present heaven. And so is there this invisible, mystical place that we cannot see? Yes, there is. Emphatically, there is this place, but it's not the entirety of the story. That place is just a temporary dwelling place for When God comes back, when Jesus comes back and brings everything into completion, we will move from the present heaven into what John calls the new heaven and the new earth. And the new heaven and the new earth is the fulfillment of the promise and the final step of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Listen how John describes it, and you'll see what I mean. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned. For her husband. Today, heaven may begin as this invisible, mystical place, but when things are fulfilled, it changes its description. Heaven is remade and it has a makeover, an extreme makeover of sorts, where the new heaven and the new earth come down from wherever it is currently and it restores everything to the place in the way that God had originally intended. In fact, I love how how he says it there. Here he says it is prepared as a bride adorned, as for uh, bride adorned for her husband. Now, if you remember in John 14, Jesus says, "Behold, I go to prepare a place for you." And then in Revelation 21, what you see is John recording that the completion of the work has been done, and now what the Lord does is He brings down the present heaven. The place where God dwells and the present heaven and earth become one. And now you have a new heaven and a new earth. And here's the reality. The new heaven and the new earth are one. Now, all of a sudden, God goes from dwelling at a place where we cannot see to physically being in the place where mankind is. He lives and dwells among us, which is why the angel says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man so he comes down and now he comes down and he restores everything the way that it used to be and if you remember this is this is kind of the beginning of the story of creation if you remember when Adam was created that God would come down physically in the cool of the day and he would walk among Adam you remember that story well, now what's going to happen when the new heaven and the new earth comes, it won't, will not be any longer. God comes down at the cool of the day. He's not going to come just to kick it on a porch for a couple of hours, but he's going to dwell with us for always. We will have an audience with our God from the end until the end of time. We will be there with him. But I understand. I, I, I hear thoughts as I, I begin to kind of paint these pictures. And when you read the scriptures, there are some questions that come out. So I want to answer some of these questions real quickly before I sit down. There are a few things that I want you to grasp. And we'll see that one of the things that, talk, that John talks about is this reality is that there will be no more sea. You saw that at the beginning. He says the new heaven and the new earth came down and the sea was no more. There are a couple of thoughts about that, about whether or not the sea actually disappears. One, one of the thoughts that theologians argue is that as John, what's happened is he's imprisoned. He has been exiled on this island called Patmos. And across the Aegean Sea was the church of the city of Ephesus in which he served. And so they're saying that metaphorically what John is saying is that the sea represents the distance between God and man. And that when the new heaven and the new earth comes down, there will no longer be the separation between God and man, that 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 gap will be bridged, that it will be brought together and that that problem, that was a problem for John. And I don't know if you all know that there's a really simple definition of a problem. When you have where you are and where you want to be, the gap between is called a problem. John sees a problem between what's taking place. He is where he is. And he sees where he wants to be the sea represents the distance that it takes and john is saying there's going to be a day where the distance will be no more well things will close Where relationships will be mended the bridge will come to pass where god and man we will ha- be able to have a function or a closeness together that day will come that sea represents that problem the other the other argument that theologians have is not that the sea represents the problem But the sea represents the restlessness of humanity, that that there's so much destruction and chaos in our world. And that as John was on the Isle of Patmos and he's seeing what's taking place and the restlessness of the sea, John is saying there's going to be a day where there will be eternal peace. Well, there will be no more restless sea where God will cease for all the problems, all the pain, all the torture, all the destruction. All those things will have ended when the new heaven and the new earth came down. So you may ask, well, which one do we look at? Do we believe that it is the one about the problem, the distance? Do we believe that it's about peace? How about we don't pick a side? We say both and. How about there will be a day, brothers and sisters, where there will be no more problems, there will be no more distance between God and man. And if that is the case, then brothers and sisters, peace is a byproduct of that. If we are in the presence of God, then there will always be peace. And where God is, as he's making all things new, peace will exist for all of us. And I know this is true because of how he then describes it. But see, he looks at this in verse 4. He then says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Ain't that a beautiful scene? The fact that, that our God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, how beautiful is that! But if you want to take it a little bit further, it goes a little bit deeper than God sitting on his throne and pulling out his holy handkerchief and bending over to simply wipe the tears from your eyes. That's that's not what John is describing there. What John is describing is not that God is going to wipe away your tears, but that God is going to wipe away
2: everything that brings you tears. That's why he says there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. There will be nothing else to grieve, no more issues in the world, no more pain, no more war, no more racism, sexism, classism. None of those things will exist no more. Everything that grieves our heart, God is saying, I'm going to wipe it away so that you don't even have tear ducts. You won't have to cry.
1: Because I'm going to bring peace to the world, peace to your heart. I'm going to wipe away the anxiety, the depression, everything that brings tears and that grieves your heart. I'm going to make all those things new. Everything that has contaminated my culture, everything that has stained my world, my creation. I'm going to make it new. I love how he talks about the word new. A couple of years ago uh, for Christmas, I thought I'd I'd do something special for my family. Uh, I bought us a TV. It was special because we hadn't bought a TV since before my daughter was born. Like, we're not really big TV people, and, um, and we still had what my daughter called a TV with a big back uh, in our family room. It was, it was, it's a big old 50-inch floor model, some wheels that rolls around, like, it it's, it's still works. I still got it. I keep trying to give it away. Won't nobody take it. Uh, we just, you know. Even people who ain't got a TV, won't take it. I don't understand it. And, uh, and so we got this TV. We got, I got us a new TV for Christmas. And, um, and we was content with it. And uh, until about almost a year, I had a friend of mine over to the house. And, um, and we're watching a game. And he says, well, how come you're not watching HD? And um, I said, well, you know, um, brother, like, this is, this is brand new. Like, this is HD, you know. I got, I got all the channels. Uh, it's a smart TV. I got internet on this joint. Like, I, I, I pour no, no dollar on this. This is, this is it. I mean, it's 65 inches. This is, this is what you want right here, man. It's top of the line. And uh, he says, yeah, I, I know what it is. I got one at home. So um, I said, okay, all right. Well, what's your point? He says, um, you are watching a television that's equipped with HD. It's intended to have HD, but you're watching it in standard definition. You don't even know what you have because the only thing that you're seeing is it operating at its lowest function. But if you simply turn the channel, you'll see what the TV was originally created for in high definition. When John is talking about or the angel is speaking to John and God is saying, I'm going to make all things new. He's not talking about that God is going to simply wipe out this world. There's been teaching, some of you may have had it, that the Lord is going to set the world on fire and then he's going to completely recreate it from scratch. When he's talking about making all things new, that's not the case. He's simply going to restore it. He's going to turn on high definition. So that you'll see what the world was created to be you'll see the beauty of the world when there is no sin, you'll see the gloriousness of the Lord when the world is functioning the way that he intended to be, you'll see the fruitfulness of creation you'll see the peace and the harmony of humanity when there is no strife and no pain and no problems between us when we are in the presence of God and love is present and love is ruling over us when it is operating and functioning and restored to the way that God intended you'll see the world the way God holds that it would be from the very beginning before sin came in and contaminated his creation. God will make all things new, not new as in it's never existed before, but new in nature. Man, it's going to be a newness that you've never seen before. It's going to be love that you've never experienced before. It's going to be a life. Man, when you think about the life that you've always hoped for, it's going to be that and some. Which brings me to my final point and a couple of more questions. If, if this is going to be what heaven looks like, then what, what's in it for me? What, what, what's it going to be like for me? And so we're going to lastly talk about the personal heaven. And within that, I thought about a couple of questions as the worship team, we was planning it out and we were kind of like throwing away or throwing out questions that we've had two questions have surfaced not only in that meeting, but I've heard it spoken by people time and time again. The first question is this. Will heaven be boring? And the second question is, will we be in church all day? (laughs) And uh, the answer to both of those questions is absolutely not. Heaven won't be boring. No, we won't be in church. We won't be in church all day. Well, the first question about heaven being born. That question is actually rooted in sin. I don't know if you know that. It's it's rooted in this idea that that sin equals fun and that 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 righteousness equals boring. I I remember one of my, my, my professors, my New Testament professor, Dave Adams, he talked about, and you've guys heard this before. Now that I think about it, he may not have shared it. Uh, it may not have been his. He may have stole somebody's joke. Uh, but anyway, Dave told us that he was saved in school, in middle school, uh, as he was there. And he went to a Christian school. And he said to his teachers, who who said, Dave, if you don't stop it, boy, you're never going to go to heaven. And Dave replied to his teacher, well, it's okay. I don't want to go to heaven because all my friends are going to be in hell. It's going to be more fun. <laughs> and that's the attitude of so many people. We think that, man, heaven's going to be born. We're just going to sit up on clouds and uh, listen to music. And uh, what are we going to do? We're just going to be, you know, up there in the clouds and just hanging out all day. Like, what's fun about that? That image is not of heaven at all. You'll never find that in scripture. You'll never find in scripture where people are just laying dormant. Uh, on clouds and just listening to angels strum harps. That's that's not the image. That's a caricature of heaven that the enemy has planted in our hearts and minds to make us believe that the better things in life are things that are sinful against God, things that distance us from God. So the enemy says, listen, if you want to have fun, man, it's, it's not going to be in heaven because heaven's not going to be fun. It's going to be boring. You're not going to have anything to do. Your friends and family aren't going to be there. They're going to be with me. So you might as well not enjoy looking forward to that. And it, it gives us this idea that we're never going to enjoy life outside our or life in the presence of God. But I remember last week Pastor Matt said as he was thinking about heaven on that on that week that listen, if there's anybody who has reason to celebrate, brothers and sisters, we do. If there's anybody that should party, man, we should party like nobody else before. We've got a reason to celebrate. How could heaven be born? How could heaven be born and you're in the presence of the most high God? How is that even possible? But I get it. You think that it's going to be boring because we're just going to kind of like hang out all day. And I'm trying to tell you, if that was heaven, I wouldn't want to go. But it's not going to be. Revelation 22 and other places in Scripture. What you'll find is that man will always be in the service of God. Remember, I said God is restoring the earth back to its original intended form. Well, if you remember creation, paradise, the Garden of Eden, Adam had a job. And Adam's job, if you remember, was to name the animals, to take care of the garden, right? Adam had a job. Well, I believe that in eternity, we're still going to have stuff to do. Now, you know, some of you are like, Lord, please don't let heaven be me working my same job today. It's not going to be that. It, it, It won't be that at all. I don't think that we could call paradise a place where we don't want to be. But I believe what God is saying with the scriptures is trying to let us know is there's going to be a place where we will go in the presence of God and we will enjoy his presence. We will work in the service of the Lord and we will spend eternity having fun in his presence. But also, will we be in church all day? And uh, I get it. I get it. Um, some of you, if we hit an hour... You're like, okay, preacher man, you got to wrap this thing on up. You got stuff to do, you got lunch to eat, football to watch, basketball, all those things. It makes sense to me because sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm looking at the time like, man, who's playing right now? I get it. I get it. I get it. I understand. And uh, although heaven is not going to have or be filled with a continuous perpetual worship service as though it's been described in one of the, the messages that Sean wrote, that, that won't be heaven. But there's an image that I love to read. In the latter part of the description, verses 22 through 25 in chapter 21, what you'll find is a a real description about the presence of God in heaven. Uh, The angel says that there will be no temple. We won't have to construct a place for worship to take place because the Lord And the lamb will be there. That's God, the father and God, the son will be there. They will serve as a temple, basically saying the presence of God will be a temple for us. We will dwell in the presence of God and it will cover us. But also, here's what really blows my mind. The presence of God will be the structure. It will be the temple. But also the glory of God will be so bright that there will be no sun or no moon. Because the glory of God will bring light to the world. In fact, it says it will never be night because of the glory of God shining in the world. Now, although we may never or we may not be spending all of eternity in church worshiping and praising God. But if there's ever a time to give God praise, how about in the environment, y'all, where the presence of God is the temple for us? And the glory of God is so bright that we don't
2: need a sun or a moon. How beautiful must that be? To be in the presence, in the sight of God Almighty and his Shekinah glory is so beautiful that it brings light to the entire universe. So we praise and give him thanks Sunday after Sunday, or maybe you do so in your car or whatever environment that sometimes you take a break. And when you think about the goodness of the Lord and everything that he's done for you, a praise breaks out of your spirit. But imagine being in a space where the glory of God, when you're seeing him face to face and the beauty of God fills the space and it controls the atmosphere. I thank God Sunday after Sunday, day after day, for the good things. I thank God that my wife and my daughter are good health. I thank God that I've got a job that I love and people that I can care for and I can share with, good co-workers to work alongside with, that God has been providing for me and been keeping me even when I have not always been faithful. I got a lot of stuff to praise God for. I praise God that the things that are about to come I don't always understand. I praise God all the time. But I tell you what. I don't know a praise like the praise in the face of God. I don't know a praise when I'm able to see him face to face and I can see the glory of the Lord. I don't know a praise where there is no more sickness, where my cousin who has cerebral palsy will walk upright, where my my family members who are dead are gone, I'll see them again, where my grandmother who has lost her mind because of dementia, she'll know me by name again. I don't know a praise like that, but one day, when we all get to heaven, we'll see the Lord face to face. There'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more grief, no more mourning, and the Lord will be there. We ain't gotta be in church all day. But sign me up for that church. Sign me up for the church where there's peace. Sign me up for the church where there's healing. Sign me up for the church where there's no more homelessness. Sign me up for the church where women are cared for. Stare me up for the church where I can talk. Stare me up for the church where people will be healed. I want to be a part of that church. And we may not be worshiping all day, but I say hallelujah for the remainder of eternity. Thanking God for all that he's done. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. (laughs) When we all get to heaven, What a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. Glory be to God for his marvelous works. Glory be to God for the heaven that we will experience. Glory be to God. I'll see his eyes face to face. I'll meet both my fathers. I'll see Him again on that great glorious day. Amen. Amen.
1: Listen, listen. Let us go. And they're gonna lead us in a song. You guys are here with us weekly. You know we we celebrate God's work through communion every week here. And the fact that we can see heaven because his body and his blood was broken for us. So we wanna pause for a moment to acknowledge that. But also, if you are here and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Matt and Stephanie, if you could come, these two are here to receive you. If you're here, you're like, I hear you talking about this place called heaven, but I don't know if I'm going to be there. What the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will be saved and heaven will be your home. You can come forward and you can talk with them. You're not confessing to them. They're just simply a witness to help you and pray with you. And so I'm going to pray real quickly. And if you've never done that, Please come forth and for the rest of us, let us meet at God's table. Let us pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, that heaven will one day be our home. And thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice and your perfect work on Calvary's cross, that we will have life and life eternal in your presence. We love you, Lord. In your name, we pray.
2: Amen. Amen. Will you come now? Meet at the table. When we are.
3: cards, Uh, give them to somebody, maybe at Thanksgiving, throughout the week, invite somebody to join you. Uh, There's a bunch of events coming up, but they're in the program, so take the program home, match it next to your calendar, there's the next 2020, the next Love in action, all of that, bring the program home. I just want to speak a blessing over us as we go, okay? So go ahead and stand to your feet. And this week as you go, may heaven be more real for you. And may this promise of a place with no tears and no pain, but the presence of God being full and everywhere, may you live into that. May they give you hope and life and strength till his kingdom come and his will be done right here, just like it is in heaven. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. We'll see you on Sunday.